welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David continues the series on the parables with a look at the workers in the vineyard. Let's listen. There's just a great quote that I want to share with you to begin our sermon today. It's a little bit longer, and so we're breaking up into three parts. It's a quote that's all about the kingdom of God. And the reason I'm starting with that is that the parable that we're going to study today from Matthew chapter 20, is also about the kingdom of God. So I want us to begin thinking, what is the kingdom of God, and why is Jesus presenting a parable about it? So this quote that describes the kingdom is by a Franciscan priest called Richard Rohr. Here's his description. Evidence of the presence of the kingdom of God is thick wherever and whenever People stand on the promise of God that there is more to this world, more to this life than what we can see. All right, we're beginning our exploration of the definition of the kingdom of God. And and Richard Rohr begins by saying, believing in the kingdom is simply believing that there is more. There is more to this world than meets the eye. There's more to this world than simply what you can experience with your senses. Yes, there is more. He goes on to continue talking about the more. He says there's more than the getting over, the getting by, or getting mine. There is more than the brokenness, the destruction, and the despair that threaten to wash over us like the waters of the deep. Yes, there are times where we think, well, is this all that life has to offer? And what Richard is saying is that the kingdom of God says, no, there's always more. There's more than simply getting over the tragedies of life. And we all experience tragedy from time to time. We experience heartbreak, but life's about more than just getting over those times. Richard said, life is more than just getting by with enough to survive. I need to scrape by to make a living. I need to get by at least until retirement. No, life's about more than that. And life's about more than getting mine, getting what I think I'm entitled to, accumulation, making as much as I possibly can. There's more to life than all of those things. He says things like brokenness, sadness, anger, despair, these are all temporary realities. They are not the kingdom. So what is the more? He concludes with this. There is a vision of a world where God cuts through the chaos, where God speaks and there's light. There's a vision where love is binding every relationship together. Yes, the kingdom of God, the the more that's possible in our world is this vision. It's a vision of what the world could be and what the world will be when God is involved in this world. And and so as we think about the kingdom, what we're really thinking about is God moving the places of our lives where there's pain and moving us actually towards healing or wholeness. And when we look at our world and we see the places of hatred— God says, no, in my kingdom, those places will be defined by love. Yes, the kingdom of God is about changing 
our reality to those who have the eyes to see it. As I said, our parable is going to explore this kingdom, this reality. And, and so I kind of asked myself a question like, how do we achieve such a lofty vision? If this is what God wants for our world, how do we get there? And I believe the parables provide us the clues, the clues we need to have the eyes to see the kingdom at work in our world, because the kingdom of God is here to those who have eyes to see. It's a little bit like that fairy tale Hansel and Gretel, where they go into the woods, but they don't want to get lost. And so what do they do? They drop their breadcrumbs behind them so that they have a trail to return to. But it's not always a clear trail, is it? Sometimes birds come and eat the breadcrumbs. They don't always know where they're going back to. That's a bit like how the parables operate. The parables are leading us into a description of the kingdom of God, but it's not always a clear description. No, there's, there's clues, though, like breadcrumbs, that help us understand the world that God is creating. So won't you use today's parable as that clue or breadcrumb that describes the type of world that God is making here on earth. We begin in Matthew 20, and he says, he uses the term kingdom of heaven. It means the same thing as the kingdom of God, but Matthew just likes that term a little bit better. And so here's his description of this vision or world. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarii for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Okay, I want you to picture a very large vineyard. And to help your imagination, we've got one right up here. This is a very large vineyard. No one person could be expected to harvest all of these grapes. And so the landowner, the person who owns the vineyard, begins to hire people. He wants to hire people to help harvest those grapes. During this time period, the person or people who would do this job were called day laborers. They would meet in the central marketplace in town, the people who were seeking labor for a day, and then they would just wait. Yeah, they'd, they'd get there right in the marketplace, right at daylight, and then they'd wait and hope and pray that an employer would come by and hire them and say, yes, I want you to work in my fields today. I want you to harvest the vineyards. Now, I want you to put yourself in, in those shoes as if you were a day laborer and realize what a precarious position that would be. I mean, think of the characteristics of these, this group of people. There was absolutely no safety net during this time period. So if they didn't work, they couldn't go seek unemployment. There was no governmental assistance. There was no safety net. There was also no job security. They were hired day by day by day. Not week by week, not for the year. It wasn't a salaried position. It wasn't tenure. No, it was a day laborer. And if they didn't work, then they didn't have the income to provide food for themselves or for their family. 
So these day laborers would gather in the marketplace and they would just hope that, oh, today will I be hired. Today can I go and provide for my family. Well, in the case of this parable, the landowner hires several of them and says, I'll pay you one denarii. And if you were with us last week, you remember that one denarii was worth one day's labor. So he's basically saying, I'll give you a, a day's worth of wages. Here's what happens next. About nine in the morning, he, meaning the landowner, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day, long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Okay, now our story takes an interesting turn. Most people would hire all of the work that they need for the day right at the beginning of the day, and then they're done. But that's not what this landowner does. No, you see, in this time period, a, a general workday for a day laborer was not nine to five. It was sun up to sun down. And so this owner goes out at sunup, hires who he needs for that day, but then he goes out again. He goes out at 9 a.m., hires more people. He goes out at noon, hires more people. And again at 3 p.m., and most unusual, he goes out again at 5 p.m. Now, why would you do that if at 5 p.m. you know you only have at most a couple of hours before the sun goes down? This is a very unusual thing for a person to be doing, hiring day laborers at 5 p.m. This also begs the question, why was this group of day laborers still waiting in the marketplace so late in the day? Why were they still standing around at 5 p.m.? Is it because they were lazy? Did they get up late, miss the rush of all the day laborers? Our scripture tells us no. Our scripture tells us that they were waiting there all day, hoping and praying to be hired, and the employers simply passed them over. Yes, what we're intended to understand here is that this group of people who are still waiting around at 5 p.m. are the least desirable workers for the employers. Now, we don't know exactly why, our story doesn't give the details of what made them least desirable. We only know that they were skipped over time and time again by all the other employers and that they were still waiting there at 5 p.m. But then, then they are offered a job, a job they quickly and readily accept. Our story continues. It says, When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. Yes, it's paycheck time. But what we realize here is that the ones who are being paid are the ones who came last. 
those who showed up at 5 p.m. to begin working, and the ones who worked throughout the entire day, they are paid last. This, again, is highly unusual. But remember, Jesus often puts highly unusual, odd things in the parables for the purpose of grabbing your attention. Yes, he wants the listeners to kind of lean in and say, wait, what's happening? He's grabbing our attention. And so pay attention to the last being paid first, because that's going to be important to the moral of this parable. Now the story gets even more unusual. Matthew goes on. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarii. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarii. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Yes, every parable has a twist, a surprise that you do not see coming. And the surprise in this parable is that everybody is paid the same wage, regardless of the amount of time that they spent working. Those who began work right when the sun came up and sweated through the heat of the day and continued working into the evening were paid the exact same amount as those who were not hired until 5 p.m., worked for one hour, and then went home. Well, these workers who showed up first are justifiably angry. They are grumbling against this owner. They're saying, it isn't fair. And it isn't fair, is it? It's not fair to pay different people different wages, even if they worked the same amount of time. Well, now's a good time to tell you who the characters in this story represent. The landowner, the one paying out the wages, represents God. So God is choosing to pay everyone the same wage regardless of the amount of hours they worked. And the workers those who maybe showed up at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day, the workers represent us. So what is God trying to teach us with this very unusual, surprising parable? Here is Jesus' conclusion. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for denarii? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Here's the moral of the story. So the last will be first and the first will be last. Okay, let's break that down because there's a lot in there for us to explore I mean, the first thing to explore is the worker's complaint. And the worker's complaint is that God is unfair to reward all workers the same. And God responds with two things. The first response is God says, well, hey, 
all workers received their agreed-upon compensation, right? Everyone received the denarii that they were promised to receive. And the second thing God says is that it's my money. And so I can do what I want with it, which I kind of like God leaning in in that direction. Okay, but let's dig in first to the worker's complaint. Because I believe this complaint is something that you and I can probably relate to. The worker saying, hey God, it is unfair for you to reward all workers the same. Well, this resonates with us because in a proper work environment, that is unfair, isn't it? Yes, if you paid different people different amounts for the same amount of work, in today's workplace, that invites a lawsuit. That is not something that is inherently fair. What we need to remember, though, is that the workplace, the vineyard, is simply the setting of the parable. It's not what the parable is about. What is this parable really about? Well, it's about the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is not trying to teach us about proper workplace etiquette. That's just the setting. Jesus is trying to teach us about the world that God is creating, God's kingdom. So keep that in mind when we think about what is fair or unfair. Well, God's response to this complaint, the first response is that all workers received their agreed-upon compensation. Everyone got a denarii, which is what they signed up for. Well, so if we're the workers in this story, what is our compensation? That's probably a little bit of an odd way to put it, isn't it? So perhaps a better way to put it is, what are the results of living a life of faith? Right? If we're the workers and God invites us, invites us to give our lives to him, to become Christians, to follow God with all that we are, what are the results of that? Or in the story's terms, the compensation. Well, one thing that God promises is for us to live eternally with God. Yeah, what God promises is that the presence of God that's in us today that presence, that relationship will continue into eternity. So one of the points that God is trying to make in this parable is that one person can't be more saved than another person. Salvation is salvation. There are, are no merits within salvation where God looks at you and says, ah, you're better. I'm going to give you a greater salvation. No, we all are invited to participate in this this wonderful blessing that God gives to those who choose to follow with all of their hearts. And so one thing that this parable is saying is that if you've given your heart to God, then we are all equals in God's sight. Here's a story to help us think through that a little bit. I want you to imagine a man. And this is an arrogant man. A man who gets under everybody's skin. Uh, this man lived only for himself. He didn't go to church. He, he, he mocked openly the Christian faith. And then one day, he falls deathly ill. And on his deathbed, this man, for the first time in his life, understands the errors of his ways. And for the first time in his life, God is able to get through to his heart. And he has an authentic conversion to God. That man then dies, 
And God welcomes this man with open arms into God's kingdom. Across the street from that man lived someone else, a lifelong Christian. This person was baptized as a child, grew up in the church, even did campus ministry as a college student. Yes, this person strived to live their whole lives according to God's commandments. Even when it was hard, even when he was shunned by society, this man gave 10% to the church even when that required to give sacrificially. And this man also dies. And God welcomes him with open arms into God's kingdom. But then the lifelong Christian sees the arrogant man he lived across the street from and says, wait, how can it be that we are both in the presence of God? We live different lives. That doesn't seem fair. He might think to himself, I've worked my whole life to be the best Christian I can be. This man barely believed for five minutes. God, how is that fair? To which God might respond, you get to live eternally with me. Isn't that what we agreed upon? Isn't that what I told you would happen if you gave your life to me? And so don't be mad at my generosity towards others. Don't be mad about how I choose to treat others. Instead, just focus on the blessings that you have been given by God in your own life. Now, what this parable is trying to get us to, to consider is that we should not be comparing our relationships with God or our journeys within the faith to other Christians. It's not a comparison game. It's a one-on-one -on -one relationship between you and God. So that's the first thing that God is saying in this parable, is that we all will receive that agreed-upon denarii. We will receive the results of the Christian life. And then the second thing that God is making, the point here, is that it's my money, and I can do what I want with it. That comes from the verse, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? It's what God's saying here is that God chooses to be generous with humanity. God doesn't have to be. No one's forcing God to be generous. God, though, chooses to be generous even if it offends our sensibilities. Another way we could put this is that God, in the kingdom that God is creating, God chooses to rule by grace, not by merit. Now, that's a hard thing for us to understand at times when it seems that grace is unfair. But what God is saying is, well, this is the world that I want, and it's my world that I'm creating. So can't I create the type of world I want to make? Because if God ruled by merit, then the people who served God the longest would receive more rewards than those who served God the shortest. Or if God ruled by merit, then the best Christians, however you'd want to define that, would be rewarded more than the worst Christians, however you want to define that. But God does not rule by merit. God chooses to rule by grace. What is grace? We talk about it. We sing about it. We know it's amazing. But in the context of this story, if God is creating a world that's based on grace, 
does that really mean? Well, what I would come up with is that grace means that God loves you simply because you exist. You are, and so God loves you. That's grace. You don't have to earn it in any way. It's not based on how good you are. It's not based on any sort of merit that you bring to the table. God's love for you doesn't depend on, on anything. It doesn't depend on the amount you give or the amount you pray or even how much you love God. God knows you exist, and God chooses to love you. That is grace. It can seem unfair at times when we think highly of ourselves and think, well, I put in all of this work. But it begs the question, what am I doing this work for? And God is encouraging us to do all of this Christian journey simply as a, as a way to worship and glorify God. Because God's ruling all of this world the same way, through and by grace. This parable encourages us not to compare ourselves with any other journey, but instead rest in God's love. Because this is the type of kingdom that God chooses to create. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.